When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that's at thecoachesnet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent, and personal development. My name's Coach Yas, and I'm a UEFA A license football coach, coach developer, and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons, and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right, guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yasmin. I've got a very special guest with me this morning. My guest today is Scott Goldman. Morning, Scott. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Well, no, it's a, the pleasure's going to be mine, I'm sure it is. Um, Scott, just before we get into the thick of it, uh, maybe just give a brief insight around who you are, what you do. Maybe we can kind of go from there. All right. Uh, my name is Scott Goldman. I, uh, for the last 20 plus years, I've been a sports psychologist working for a wide variety of teams at the university level, the NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball. My current role uh, as a day job is working for the Golden State Warriors, where I work primarily in their front office as a consultant. Um, and then as my second job, I, my partner and I, we created something called the Athletic Intelligence Quotient or the AIQ, which is being used all over the world to help measure uh, sports-specific intelligence. And thank you for that very brief intro. And, uh, you know, there's two key bits that really kind of jump out for me there and that I'd really like to explore further. First of all, it's that last piece around the athletic intelligence. It just around that maybe just give us a bit of an idea a bit of an idea of what exactly that looks like because obviously you know we've talked about you know emotional intelligence you know intellectual intelligence just as it, as it is in its, in its general form um, what exactly is athletic intelligence and, and how, how would you define that sure so this is going to be a, a, an extremely oversimplified um statement but i, I find it's a, a good place to start i think that there's four um buckets to the comprehensive athletic profile. So the first bucket is physical, right? So size, speed, strength, agility. 
Second bucket is experience. So, you know, if you're getting a, a linebacker from Alabama, you kind of know what system they run and everything else. So it's an easy migration if it fits your current system at the NFL. Then the third bucket is intelligence. And most people think intelligence is how smart you are. It's kind of yes, kind of no, because a lot of times people will confuse like knowledge. So for example, uh, if I were to ask you what's two plus two, you'd say, oh, that's four. But you already knew that answer. That's knowledge. If you didn't and you had to come up with strategies to figure out what two plus two is, that's intelligence. <laughs> and so um, what my partner and I did, his name's Jim Bowman. And then we added a third team member. His name's Alex Auerbach, who's now with the Toronto Raptors, the, the NBA team. Um, what the three of us did was we created... First, we said, you know what, we got to define what sport is. So we said, okay, sports is a constant, mutating, chaotic puzzle uh, that's pretty much unsolvable. In fact, if it was solvable, I think people generations ahead of you and me would have solved it by now. So it becomes this really kind of fun task, kind of like the stock market. You know, and sometimes I'll even make this reference point where I'll say, um, you know, if, if the stock market could have been figured out, like, what does my financial planner need my money for? He should have already retired with making all the right choices. So same thing, like with coaches and players is like, you know, if this stuff was easy, we would have figured it out. So we started with that concept of sports as an unsolvable, constantly mutating puzzle. And then we said, okay, what are the cognitive abilities that you need for that? And then we spent about 15 years researching other um, constantly mutating puzzles. So we looked not just at sports, we also looked at um, firefighters, first responders, military, um, police officers, uh, fighter pilots, et cetera. And, and, but, but most of our time was spent with athletics. And then we came up with different cognitive abilities that we thought were essential. So for example, one of them is visual spatial processing. So imagine you're scanning the football field or the basketball court or the baseball diamond, and you're looking for important details and you're trying to orient where you are in relation to that space. So that's, that's kind of what took us. And, and um, we follow the American Psychological Association's ethical guidelines for test construction. We wanted to make sure our, our science was sound. And then we brought it to market back in 2012. So over 10 years now, uh, teams across all five major U.S. leagues are using it. And then there's teams like in Australia that are using it, New Zealand, um, over in Europe. Um, and then we've also started to be used by certain military units, um, as well as uh, there's a fire department in Colorado that's using us. So, so that's what that is. And then just to complete the four buckets, uh, the final bucket is personality which is, you know, work ethic, character, locker room guy, poison, et cetera. And so when you talk about emotional intelligence, I think I, I tend to steer away from that term just because I think it's confusing to people. Um, you know, it's like jumbo shrimp kind of thing. It's, it's an oxymoron in a way. So that emotional intelligence kind of fits more under that personality bucket. And that's one of the services that I provide, like say for the Golden State Warriors, and a few other teams um, is I provide that resource. So 
for example, when because we just got done with the draft last week, um, when I'm helping a team with a draft of those four buckets, I'm trying to be a resource regarding those last two buckets. Um, how do they process information, the intelligence factor, and then what kind of personality do they have and how good of a fit is it with our team's identity? Um, I don't like really using the word culture. I know culture gets used a lot. Um, I, I tend to think about culture. I, I do like when culture is well-defined. So I think of culture as really, it's about the human beings in a system and really how they relate to one another, the interaction. No, I th I think, thank you for that. So just, you know, uh, first of all, I, I love the term uh, constantly mutating puzzle. Um, and, and really what it represents in that you're right. If it, if it had been cracked already, then you know, none of us will be in jobs, really. Um, so I think, and I, I think just on that, it's, it's really important to understand that it's constantly mutating because there's always another level, no matter how much we progress. Um, so for, for us, it's always tapping into it. And there's always gonna be so many individual variant, vari variabilities around you know, the type of individual that you're working with, the environment you're working in, the resources that you've got access to and whatever that might be. So I think that that's a great way to look at it. So, you know, but this 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 piece around the four buckets, I think is really key as well. So you had physical in there. Uh, just remind me, the, the second one was? Experience. Experience, right. So you've got physical experience, then you've got the processing information and the personality, um, which essentially you've, you've identified as the person that is, is where the emotional intelligence piece comes in and it may be personal characteristics in that respect. Um, again, I think, you know, I've never actually looked at it from that perspective. Obviously, you know, this, this is an area of work that you obviously have, have taken a lot of time and, and effort to kind of put together. Um, in terms of the, the experiences put for piece in particular, maybe could you just expand on that a little bit and, and go into maybe some detail around what aspects of those experiences we're looking at, how, how we identify what is maybe a relevant experience and what, and, and what is maybe regarded as an irrelevant experience? Um, because I think a lot of coaches maybe listening to this in particular might just think that the experiences that, that we're referring to are specifically sports experiences rather than those that can be transferable, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Um, what sport would you like me to use? Is there a sport that you're more familiar um, with? So, I mean, this is the, my sport would be soccer, football over here in the, in, in the UK. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm happy for you to go whichever, wherever you may, may have the best anecdotal um, examples to share with us. You know, one thing that I'm always grateful for is when I'm interviewing with uh, people from Europe, they will always politely reference football as soccer. And I'm always going like, gosh, you know, it's so funny to me because um, I'm going to guess that most of your audience is also from Europe. And so it's like, it, it's such like a classic American thing to have this wide variety of, uh, of uh, audience members and yourself translate to soccer just to, to humor one person. So let's use football. And if I reference American football, I'll just call it American football. So we've got like the real football and then American football. <clears throat> Excuse me. So let's take a defender in a football system and let's take like a, a team. Let's say we're working with a, with a premier league team and the premier league team's going, look, we need a, we, we need another defender. 
And now all of a sudden we got to decide what kind of system we're using. Like, are we using an offside trap? Are we using a diamond? Are we using a flat back four? What, what kind of formation? Because as you and, and the coaches that are listening know, um, the defense is really a fluid unit. If you're using a flat back four, you got to be in the right kind of position. If you're using an offside trap, you have to be in the right kind of position. And you also have to kind of work with each other. So one of the things is if you're taking somebody who maybe like it's a transfer player. So let's say it's a, a, a player from MLS, you know, uh, the, soccer, the, the football league that's in America. And you're going, hey, we really love this player. He's big, he's strong, he's fast, he's got great character. Um, so we're going to bring him into our system. But he's never played our system before. I'm sure he'll figure it out. That'd be no problem. Kind of that kind of dialogue, which happens, I think, a lot more in sports than people realize. Then what happens is he gets folded in to the team's defensive philosophy and he struggles. I've never played this before. This is totally new to me. Well, that hits two of the four buckets, right? So the first bucket is I'm missing my experience. I just, I've never had reps playing a flat back four. And then it's, I don't have quite the cognitive abilities to figure it out, especially with this kind of speed of the game. I mean, really, a lot of this is around talent identification. Yeah. Um, so when we created the AIQ, Jim, Alex, and myself, when we created it, the idea and the intention was really to make it a development tool. Right. So, so Jim is a school psychologist um, by, by trait and training. And, and I have two PhDs, one's in clinical psychology, one's in school psychology. And then I did advanced training in um, performance optimization. And so when we were kind of like processing this stuff, it really was from that school psychology bucket, which is really about, if you think of coaches as teachers, which is how I perceive them, and you think of players as learners, which again is how I kind of perceive them, then I've never met a, a player who loves to get mother effed, you know, and yelled at. Mm. Never, I've, met, I've met some that can tolerate it, if it makes them better, but I've never met one that goes, man, I love getting just humiliated. Similarly, I've never met a coach that really enjoys it either. You know, I know coaches that use it as a tactic. I know coaches that are so passionate that they um, they just snap. But I've never heard them say, man, I really enjoy doing that. Or, or they wake up in the morning and go, I'm really looking forward to tearing somebody's head off. So you go, okay, well, what's going on there that's causing that to happen? And more often than not, it's because if you think of the learning mechanism almost like an engineering process of I'm going to flip the light switch and then the light doesn't turn on. You got to follow the circuit and see where that's broken. Mm -hmm. so same thing is like, I think a coach is trying to effectively teach. I think the player is trying to effectively learn and somewhere in that interaction, the light switch does, the light switch gets flipped, but the light does not turn on. Mm. So when, when Jim, Alex and myself created this thing, it was really with the idea of if somebody's got a weakness or a wobble in a particular area, then we can help the coach teach in a different way. We can also put that player in a different position. So I'll give you a specific example. There was a European football club 
using the AIQ. And they had a central midfielder who physically gifted, but his spatial awareness score was really low. Spatial awareness, we have 15 data points that we capture. Spatial awareness is one of them. Spatial awareness is the ability to um, know where you are in relation to space, key landmarks, other figures, et cetera. So from a simple standpoint, think about like a nine or a striker who has to be on the last defender. If he's got poor spatial awareness, he might drift into an offside position while watching the gameplay behind him, waiting for the ball to get pushed through. So with this central midfielder, same kind of thing. His spatial awareness was low. So it wasn't that he was drifting offside, but rather having a 360 degree responsibility, looking all over the place and having to identify where he is in relation to everybody else. He was just getting pulled out of position. So they were like, well, what do we do? And we talked about, all right, there, there's a number of things you can help a guy do to recalibrate and reorient. But the other thing that you could do is you could drop him back to the defensive line and have him be like the stopper in your system. So that way the gameplay is mostly in front of him. Or you can push him to the winger. If he's super fast, make him a winger where instead of being 360 degrees, now he's really only like, you know, 90 to 180 degrees of responsibility. So it was a, a positional shift. So they ended up actually dropping him back to being a stopper. And um, that was a lot more effective. The frustration decreased. Um, some of his natural gameplay sped up. So it was about providing solutions like that. Right. But to your point, and I appreciate you letting me kind of go in depth here. Um, to your point, there's teams that use it as much for talent identification and pre-selection, like prior to a draft, as much as some that are using it as a development tool. Okay. So then, you know, just oh, first of all, thank you for, for kind of expanding and clarifying that. Um, in terms of in terms of the uh, the developmental aspects of it, what is, you know what what has been the response response or what kind of feedback have you received in that? And maybe maybe you can share some stuff around around the work that you're doing currently with the Golden State Warriors around how that's implemented in terms of being a developmental. Because I mean, I'm just thinking out loud now. I'm saying right, okay, they're obviously going to try, try to utilize these sorts of assessments or, or assessments like this to establish where maybe there's areas for further development, identifying possible potential opportunities to maybe enhance the ability of the athlete, whoever that may be, in whatever position they may play in. Um, but if we're looking at the, da the data points that you talked about, the 15 data points, we use that one as an example to talking about the spatial awareness isn't that still somewhat subjective? No. So, so this is where things get pretty exciting and pretty cool. And there's two questions that I think you asked in that. In, in that. So I'll try to get to both of them. But we'll start with the, the last one first. Um, intelligence is not subjective. In fact, intelligence is an objective measure. And it's... And the literature talks about how it's actually one of the most genetically stable traits that we have. So what is, I think, more subjective is the knowledge piece. And so this is where things can get kind of confusing. So I'll do the best I can to clarify. If you think about a task accomplishment, like playing a through ball and hitting a winger on stride, 
that's really the task accomplishment. But when you think about what abilities the players need to accomplish that task is actually incredibly complicated. You need to have the strength in your foot to kick the ball. You need to have the ability to process the speed of the winger. You need to have the reps of how to have the right kind of formation or tactic or strategy, as well as even the execution of the how your leg swings to hit the ball correctly. Like all of these things come into play. So um, what's really interesting is the literature of intelligence does talk about how intelligence is a genetically stable trait. So what's really cool about that is teams that love analytics, they really value the AIQ and its ability to digest the information um, into formulas and algorithms. So that part's kind of cool. Yeah. Um, Now, where things can get kind of complicated, right, is there are products out there and there are people out there who believe in brain training and neuroplasticity. And that stuff's a really exciting part of our field and our industry. Um, I, I do believe in neuroplasticity. I do believe in brain training. I do believe that there's something pretty wonderful there. Um, but it's really at the infancy of its, of its um, implementation. So what's interesting right now is like there's a few teams that have used the AIQ. They've tested their players. Then they run them through a gauntlet of brain training mechanisms, and then they retest their player. The few teams that have done that, not a single one has caused the AIQ to change. So the brain training gauntlet technology that they're using and implementing does not seem to change intelligence. Now, you could make the argument that it's helping give them reps that's changing that knowledge bucket right? Where all of a sudden it's like pattern recognition and familiarity. But I think that's a little bit of a leap. In other words, I do like the brain training stuff that's, you know, I'm excited about the concept. I have yet to really see it be implemented or executed with a real return of investment. Okay. So I mean, yeah, no, I'm I'm just listening to what you're saying and I'm just trying to visualize everything. The reason why I ask the question around is this not subjective because you gave an earlier an example of uh, potentially a, a striker or a center forward who's maybe offside but i guess surely it, it's subjective until we understand what the intention was behind a said action or movement no yeah so i see what yeah so i think what you're referencing so let's take like that striker or that nine who's drifting off sides. So let's just have all four buckets. So let's say the physical bucket is he's off sides just because he's slow. They pull an offside trap and he's slow to react to it. That would be that physical bucket. Let's say it's the experience bucket. Like, you know, um, this guy's a supreme athlete, but his whole life he's been playing something other than football. Um, and so this is really a, a team that's gambled on him and his physical attributes. So he's never, he, he just doesn't un- understand the full side trap, you know, like that's just new to him. So he's drifting and they don't, they don't see it. Then let's say the third bucket intelligence is he's just cognitively, he just loses where he is. Like he just doesn't process well 
the information of going like, oh, that's where everybody is. This is where I am in relation to them. It's almost like, you know, it's like somebody who's colorblind in a way. He just doesn't see it. Right. And then the fourth bucket is personality. So let's say, hey, all week long, they've been trying to teach him the offside trap. But reality is he's just a jerk who's not really into, into football. He's, he actually loves some other sport. And so he's not paying attention purposely. And so all of these things, and this is where, you know, going to me as, as a sports psychologist, I tell people all the time, I go, I think human behavior is unbelievably complicated. And I think human interaction is a multiplier of it because you're dealing with not just one person's human behavior, but multiple people's human behavior. So it's not like one, one times one, it's really like one times one times one times one times one which you could come back and say, yeah, but that's just, that equals one. That's not that hard. So maybe, maybe we got to come up with a different formula, but it is this idea of, of it is a multiplier of complexity. And, and so going back to the question where you said, you know, how is it a development tool and what does that look like with the Golden State Warriors? One of the things that I contribute or provide to the team is I provide a, uh, a player profile summary. I say, here's their psychological profile. Here's some things that we've discovered about their psychology that might be worth noting. So, you know, for example, let's just say um, a player at the collegiate level has had a negative experience with their coach. So there might be a little bit of trust issues as we're orienting him to our coaching staff that we might want to take into account when forging this new relationship. You know, sometimes like I'll, I'll mention to a coach, you know, some of these players, um, it's like a dry erase board where somebody else has written on it and not done a very good job of erasing it. So there's this kind of like residue or shadows of images on the dry erase board. You think you're inheriting a blank board because he's new to you coach. But in reality, he's got all this other stuff that he's coming into this with. Okay. So uh, that, that's the personality side. Yeah. The, the other part of the, the player development summary is the AIQ side. And you go, what does that look like? So another one of our cognitive abilities is something we call multiple target search, which is kind of like a where's Waldo task. It's looking for important details in a crowded space. So... Okay. Like, and you're looking at it from the, from the athlete's perspective, or, or from, correct? Right. From the so athlete's it's in that because it's, it's quite interesting because I, you know, and I'm really I'm really keen to explore this further with you because for hmm. me, if I look at my own coaching journey as an example, I would have anticipated that if I'm reflecting now, when I first started coaching, I had a pretty much set idea of uh, maybe what was considered as an important variable, if you like. Um, but as time has gone on, I, th I guess some of these variables still hold true for me. However, I've tried to become a bit more objective or less subjective, more objective about highlighting the variables rather than placing the importance on them um, and allowing my interaction with the athlete to guide their attention to these things but for them to understand and maybe place a priority on how important these things are if that makes sense it makes perfect sense in, in the world of school psychology what we talk about and what it's called is an individualized education plan so see what i tell organizations and the teams that i work with is 
we've got a fundamental choice. We can go out and find players that match our coach's philosophy and teaching mechanisms, or we can find coaches that can cater and individualize different teaching strategies that maximize each individual player. So on that then, that maximizing piece, mm-hmm. as you're talking, I'm starting to visualize, okay, what does this look like practically? Now, my the visuals I'm getting is that a lot of this is going to be dialogue, open questions maybe, identifying what, what, what the perception is from the athlete. So I'm really, you know, first of all, would that, would that be fair? Well, it goes back to, again, the four buckets. We're looking at two of the four. It's the combination of intelligence and personality. And so, you know, again, because intelligence is a genetically stable trait, let's focus on intelligence first. It's almost like, let's think, think of it like height. Okay. And so the idea here is if I'm not a very tall person and the task is to get to the top shelf. That doesn't mean I can't do it because of my height. What it means is I have to come up with a compensatory strategy, like a footstool or a ladder. So really what you're saying here, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this intelligence piece is really about us identifying and checking what the athlete already understands and perceives and knows about the environment they're in. Yes? Close. That goes into the knowledge bucket. Right. Okay. Where the intelligent bucket, so let's go back to that multiple target search testing that where's Waldo task. So that's the ability to look for minute details in a crowded field. On the field, on the pitch, it might be like a central mini being able to look and identify where the striker is amongst the sea of defenders. But in the practice sessions or in the game film and installs, it could be also like a coach who shows game film if a guy has really bad multiple target search and he's showing game film, the coach is talking about something and the player might be struggling to identify where right. on the video the coach is describing. So a correction and a simple intervention for that is if somebody's got bad multiple target search, you tell the coach, use a laser pointer, point to the place that you want the player to look at. So while you're going over this game film, And you're saying, look, this is what happened. You want to show him where it is. You want to actually give him that direction. So I get the idea around using the visual aid to maybe highlight specific aspects. I guess what's the question I've got in my head now is, are they searching for these targets based on their own self or guided direction by the coach? Because really, for me, I'm now looking at this and saying, right, What's, what's important here? Them being able to identify where, what these targets are and identify and look for them themselves or actually responding to me saying, right, I want you to look out for this. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. It's a, like, I mean, spot on. So let's go back to that metaphor of we just flipped the light switch, but the light didn't turn on. Right. And you're going, okay, where in the circuitry is it? So one element is a relationship dynamic. The coach asked the player to do it. And so the coach can get frustrated. It's like, dude, I told you to make that pass. And the player is like, oh, sorry, I didn't see it. And then the coach is getting more frustrated. Hey, I'm flipping the switch on and on, off, on, on, off, on, and off. And the light's not going on. So they start to say, hey, I told you to make the pass. And the player goes, yeah, I didn't see it. 
And then the coach goes, hey, I told you to make the pass. And the player goes, yeah, I didn't see it. Now comes the frustration. And now comes the verbal undressing. What the F's wrong with you, blah, 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 blah. And then what, com- what could be in jeopardy is the relationship dynamic where the player's like, I don't want to play for this guy anymore. Or the coach goes, I want this guy off my team. So if all of a sudden we go, hey, coach, you're telling him to do something that he's not naturally gifted at, like asking a short person to get to the top shelf, we can do two things. We can either recalibrate his task assignment, don't have him make that kind of pass because he doesn't visually scan the field well enough or easily enough, or let's just, to your point, let's just tell him, like, so for example, let's talk about a center midi who's about to deliver a through ball. So he receives the pass from the defender, has to rotate 180 degrees and reorient, that's spatial awareness, then has to identify where the striker is, that's multiple target search, and has to now also see sort of like where the play is unfolding, which is something we call manipulation rotation, so that he can then deliver that through ball. So not only is that three cognitive abilities, it's also a whole lot of physical abilities, like is he strong enough to make the pass? And it's also the experience one, which is did we go over that enough in practice? And it's also the personality one that says, hey, was this guy eager to learn this stuff? And is he like super engaged in the game? And that you go, gosh, this is the thing that I really love to try to explain to people who are not in the world of sports, which I know you are, but some of your listeners may not be, is to have a successful outcome is really, really hard, even when you don't have opponents trying to stop you. And so, you know, it's interesting to me because sometimes people will, in my humble opinion, incorrectly judge athletes as being like less intelligent or something, or it's less complicated as, hey, we're just playing football. When in reality, there is this really sophisticated, coordinated, three-dimensional game of chess that's going on to get these things executed. So, you know, and again, this is my bias. I love working with coaches. I love working with players. I love being a resource as a sports psychologist who's helping kind of solve this constantly evolving, mutating puzzle. And again, following that circuitry metaphor, it's like what happens is the player or the coach will come to me as the psychologist and says, hey, we're flipping the switch, but the light's not turning on and we can't, we just can't see it. Can you help us find where's the circuit break? And, and, you know, I I get everything that you're saying. And I think, I think, Maybe, I can, maybe what I'll try is I'll try and relay what I've picked up from it and you can tell me if I'm on the right track just so that we can give some clarity for the listeners as well. I mean, really what you're saying is the athletes will be in the situation. Um, the coaches are communicating information, but the message is, is not hitting home. Now, for me, in my own experiences, I've seen, I've, I see this happen all the time. And, you know, then you, then you get the age-old thing where you get to the game day or the, or, you know, or the competition day and the coach is under the impression they've done all this work around this thing, whatever this thing might be. And they get to game day, but because the athlete doesn't actually understand the mechanics behind it, the where, the what, the how, and the why, um, it leaves them in a position where they're not able to then recreate or perform on the, on the game day or the match day 
the coach is then frustrated thinking I've just spent X amount of time doing X, Y, Z with you to make sure that you get this, but now you're not doing it. Now, see it happen all the time. And for me, again, whilst you're speaking there, I guess the one big question that's really jumping out and with the words that jump out is clarity and the checking of understanding, because I think that's where a lot of coaches maybe uh, fail in this process of, uh, you know, knowledge transfer or, or whatever you want to call it is that they're not actually checking in with the athletes often enough to make sure the players or the athletes are perceiving the same messages that they're trying to communicate, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And it might be what contributes to it for sure. So like, we'll talk about American football for a sec. Length of an NFL career is 2.7 years. It used to be that the average length of a coaching regime was about three years. I think that's starting to decline and it's closer to two years. In the NBA, average length of a coaching staff is two years. So what's interesting is, and I bring that up because there's a lot of pressure to get things done right and get things done right fast. So with the NFL coaches, I find a big driving force is them trying to mitigate risk. They're trying not to get fired. So one of the ways that position coaches try not to get fired is they teach the player everything. So that way on Sunday, if it goes wrong and the head coach goes to the position coach and says, what the heck happened? The position coach goes, well, I told him everything during the week. I gave him all the answers to the test. Yeah. But and here's where intelligence kind of kicks in. Sorry, I didn't interrupt. Here's where intelligence kicks in, which is one of the abilities that we measure is how successfully can a player download and recall information but is that not is that not equally um dependable on how well the information is actually communicated and whether the clarity has been provided because this is where i think a lot of coaches do get it get really get really stuck with it sometimes is they think they've covered something but you know and i'm sure you'd agree that the message always the message delivered isn't always the message understood yeah and, and that's where i go this is where things are so wonderfully complicated, right? Because some players might do a lot better with a dry erase board. Others might do better with game film. Some might need to be just told over and over again, and some might need to go out to the pitch and be shown it sort of physically. Yeah. And, you know, and I, and I'm smiling as you're talking there because I, you know, one of the key pillars of my own coaching philosophy is this idea of show and tell, right? Where, at some point, whether myself or the, or that, well, first of all, from a, from a coaching perspective, any new concept I bring into play or anything I'm talking about, I'm, I'm making sure they, 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 they're getting a show on, on introduction, on entry point rather than on demand. I'm not waiting for them to ask me to show them because I, I, my experience tells me straight away that actually nine times out of 10, I'm going to tell these guys what to do or I'm going to tell them what I'm expecting and some of them are still not going to get it. And then I'm going to end up having to show them anyway. So I think over time, bad habits could creep in. And actually, a lot of coaches end up becoming lazy and start doing less of the demonstration piece, if you like. Um, yeah. They think it's easier. We're actually, adding to the workload on the back end rather than dealing with it on the front end. Um, at least that's what my observations and my experiences taught me. Um, and then the, the tell piece, like like you said, you know, some people are going to get it just by you telling them. But I think if, if we leave that piece out where we're showing as well, I think 
yes, whilst we all have preferred methods of learning, if you like, I think all of us learn in all these ways. It just depends on how we perceive the message rather than whether we're actually more more selective towards a particular type of, uh, uh, of resource, if that makes sense. Yeah, so to me, one of the words that you said really hits home and resonates, which is over time. And the reason why I say that is some of the best coaches I've been around, they figure out the player over time. But going back to what I was saying earlier, which is like in the NFL, American football, you have maybe two years three years tops kind of thing to get that right. In the NBA, you have two years. So one of the things is really great coaches, they figure out as quickly as they can either how to reach the player or how to get the players that they know how to reach. And those are two different entities. One is more of an individualized thing. Like I'm figuring out how to get this information across to the player and that's causing me to change. The other one is, I know what I do works, but it only works with a very specific group of players. So I'm only going to bring those players on board. And, and what I'm finding in sports is we're getting less and less time figuring out that part of the puzzle. And, and, and I mean, first of all, makes when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Absolute sense. I think the only the only thing I would say within that though is, and this is a challenge I throw out to coaches, is if you're that coach that's waiting for the right individuals to come across that fit the way that you work, then you're probably not being as impactful as you as you probably could be. Um, maybe you are somewhat stagnated in your development itself. So I, I think the one challenge I'll throw out there to coaches is rather than waiting for the right players, make yourself the right coach. And that's by constantly adapting, evolving, growing in response to what's in front of you, rather than waiting for the other way, other you know, waiting for it to happen the other way around. If you like, you know, well, I'm really, I'm really curious, Scott, in, in, in that. Obviously, you would, you would the Golden State Warriors. I'm really keen. What would you say your insights and observations are around how maybe how Steve Kerr implements some of this stuff and what and some of the key things that he kind of um, takes from this? You know, how much of is there a particular aspect of the model that you've talked about there with the, with the AIQ stuff that he that he, he leans on? Um, would you say that by just by nature, the, the model and, and, and the four buckets which you've broken down just naturally links into a certain, a certain particular type of coaching style, if that makes sense? Sure. Um, so 
you know, to me, it's not just Coach Kerr, it's his entire staff. I mean, one of the things that I think the Warriors are is, is doing, and, and it, it's really impressive, uh, they, they, as an organization, are first class across the entire the, the entire organization. I mean, from ownership um, all the way across, like, just an amazing group of human beings, unbelievably talented at their job and uh, a great um, environment to be in. Uh, um, I'm very fortunate to be um, able to contribute and to be a part of it. <clears throat> now to answer your question specifically, it's really, I think um, in, in the MBA, there's the management of players and then there's the development of players. And so, you know, when you go back to those four buckets, it's the last two, you know, that personality and the intelligence. So the development, I think, you know, I think that the Golden State Warriors, they have members of their development coaching staff. You know, um, there's a gentleman, Jama, there's a gentleman, Coach Atkinson, there's a gentleman, um, Chris DeMarco, like, Seth Cooper, like there is a whole bevy of coaches that I don't think get enough credit who are doing a phenomenal job of developing the talent. Um, you know, it's interesting because if you look at the NBA, statistically, if you're not a lottery pick, like a top 16 pick, the chances of you being a successful contributor in the league significantly decreases after the top 16 picks. But if you're a very successful organization like the Warriors have been over the last 10 years, you're just not getting a chance to pick in the top 16 very often. And, you know, one of the players that did, you know, had a great year, um, his name's Jordan Poole, um, was he was a 28th pick a few years ago. And so it's funny because oftentimes people will look at a player like Jordan Poole and say, what an overnight sensation. He just had his coming out year this year and was really instrumental in, in the team's run. What they seem to minimize or, or disregard is how hard Jordan Poole worked. And Jordan Poole, very committed athlete, unbelievable human being, great person. And that development staff I was mentioning, you know, Kenny Brown, John, sorry, Kenny Atkinson, Jama, Chris Martin, like, they all worked, Seth Cooper, like they all worked with Jordan um, to help develop. And so it's funny, uh, I think Mark Cuban had this line about entrepreneurs as he talks about how like overnight success really comes from 10 years of hard work. And, and so um, I think that's the place of contribution where some of the dialogue that you and I are having about the personality and the AIQ come in is it's really... It's not just helping um, the front lines uh, coaching staff that you that you'll see who's managing the player, but it's also helping that development group. And in, in terms of, in terms of obviously the AIQ stuff itself, you know, how how typically how are the athletes you know um, responding to the fact that you're bringing this information out? And is there is there particular questions that are being asked that um, are then contextualized within the environment they're working in or where, or related directly to the environment they may be looking to go into? Yeah, so it's not sport specific per se. So again, for like a footballer, um, it's not about like, oh, hey, you're watching a video game and it's like now deliver the through pass. What it is, is it's a universal capture of cognitive abilities and 
allow me to get kind of nerdy for a sec. What we did was, is we took the Cattell-Horn-Carroll theory of intelligence, which is really the predominant theory of intelligence being used by most intelligence testing. So if a child's ever being tested for like a learning disability or giftedness, more often than not, they're using an instrument that was based off the, the CHC, the Cattell-Horn-Carroll theory of intelligence. Um, what we did was, again, following 15 years of development and studying unsolvable puzzles is we said, which aspects of the CHC theory are most relevant to, um, to, to the unsolvable puzzle of sport. Then um, what we did was, is we purposely designed these items to be robust to things like socioeconomic status, race, religion, country of origin, language, because we recognize not only the universality need, like can we, can we assess somebody in Spain as well as we can assess somebody in Detroit, Michigan in the United States. And, and then the other thing, so like last year, for example, um, and I think this is an important point, there are tests that exist that are culturally biased. That are, um, that are biased against certain races, that are biased against certain socioeconomic status, like if you're rich versus if you're poor. So I'll give you a concrete example. And this is sort of what helped inspire us. Um, when I was growing up, I grew up in a part of the United States that's, that has no water, basically. I, I grew up in the desert of New Mexico. But some intelligence question, some intelligence has still ask a question, what is a schooner as a sign of intelligence? Well, I grew up in New Mexico. Again, there's no water. I never knew what a schooner was. The answer is a schooner, for those that don't know, a schooner is a boat. So what we did was, is we took those kinds of biased questions and got rid of them. So as an example, last year uh, in the NFL, we tested over 550 athletes. 10 of our top 11 scores were minorities. And some of them came from some pretty um, uh, rough neighborhoods and things like that. And, and so what's nice is we were able to capture their true ability without where they came from or the color of their skin having any kind of impact or influence over their ability to do the, do the, do the measure. And I think that's important because it, it means that we can compare um, this aspect of human beings universally without bias. Uh, and it, and it, makes, it, makes, it makes perfect sense. So I guess, is it, isn't, isn't the one piece, I mean, I'll be interested, how exactly is this, 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 this uh, testing done? Is it, because yeah. um, in my head, I'm thinking there still is an element of subjectivity here in that it's based on how the questions are perceived, right? Yes. So, um, the way it looks to a lot of people is it's kind of like playing a game of Candy Crush. So instead of it being like, you know, some intelligence tests will say things like, you know, Jane can sit next to Paul, Paul can sit next to Susie, where does Lisa sit? Which is very verbal dominant. For us, what we did was is we did things that were a lot more like Candy Crush or for the older generation that might be listening, a game like Tetris. So what you're doing is, is you're kind of rotating shapes 
in your mind's eye and then placing them in in a in a area that might fit so like that that multiple target search that we were talking about you're looking at a, a grid of images while studying um three images and then trying to identify which where they are in that grid so it's all just a lot of visual spatial processing mm. okay no, no that makes absolute sense so i guess you know just in terms of now using it as a development tool i'm anticipating that you know obviously we've collated that information there um we now have an understanding of where they sit across these four buckets you talked earlier about an individual plan how much of a, how much of how much of an involvement do they have around those things um, or is it still, I guess, in, in, in this case, maybe the coach directing or the, the, the staff directing around what the key areas are, if that makes sense, that they want them to work towards? Because uh, I get the idea of the assessment, but I guess the way that I'm looking at this is I'm still seeing this as, well, this is still quite maybe, this isn't maybe so much athlete-centered as much as it is um, coach-led, if that makes sense. Uh, yes. So coaches definitely, but athletes, absolutely. So I'll, I'll give you a, a, a quick story, um, with that multiple target search. Mm. I was working with an athlete who scored low on it. And I was explaining to him that this is again, like a where's Waldo test. You're looking for minute details in a crowded field. And he goes, Hey doc, is this why I could never find a shirt in my closet until I got married? And I was like, okay, that's a little weird. Let's go with this. What do you mean? And he said, well, you know, if I was looking for a particular polo, I could never find it. But then when I got married, my wife said, your closet's a mess. I'm going to organize it for you. So what she did was she color coded it. All the blue shirts went here, all the red shirts went there. And then within the color code, she organized it where it was like button downs, polos, you know, t-shirts. So he said, what she did was she made things very easy for me. So when I was thinking about this polo, I knew it was blue. So I went to my blue section of my, of my closet and I knew it was a collared shirt. So I went to the collared section and I knew it was a polo and, I went, and there it was. And I said, that's brilliant. And he goes, yeah, he goes, I could never find stuff until we do that. Now, how could that possibly help me? He was a, a football player. He goes, how can that possibly help me? Uh, sorry, an American football player. How can that possibly help me be an American football player? I said, well, when you're in installs, which is when the coaches are teaching them what we're going to do for the week, and go, when you're in installs, I said, grab several different colored pens and start to color code. So if we're talking about a running play, make that your green pen. If we're talking about a pass play, make that a red pen. If we're talking about your blocking assignments, make that a black pen. And if you just kind of keep switching out the pen color based off of what's being talked about, when you go back to review your notes and you're going, hey, where was that running play? Mm -hmm. You can quickly find it on the sheet of paper because you're just going after that green color. And he's like, doc, that's brilliant. That makes my life so much easier and all that. And I go, yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's brilliant. I mean, it was a nice compliment, but it, it, it could be something that could save you a lot of time, effort, and really minimize the frustration because up until that point, his note-taking strategy, because he showed it to me, was as chaotic as his closet was prior to his wife reorganizing it. But on, on that then, you know, the minute details, they've been, they've been highlighted for him, right? 
Uh, he was highlighting them for himself as the coaches were talking. So the coaches were showing film and, and that's, that's a real interesting learning curve, right? Like when, a, when an American football player goes from high school to college, college to the NFL, it's a hockey stick like learning curve. Mm -hmm. So the growth and the leaps and the depth of information becomes exponentially greater. And what happens is some of the physically gifted individuals who might struggle with a multiple target search task, they do not get exposed of having this wobble or this weakness until they get to a place where they're absolutely taxed by the maximum amount of it, the volume of it. So for him, no one knew he had this multiple target search wobble because he's so physically gifted, even when he didn't see it, the minute detail, he was still able to be absolutely disruptive in his process so, uh, so, physically. Yeah, so what, what really kind of jumps out to me there is, well, what I'm, what I'm visualizing is that, that, that that's, that's a case of maybe the athlete being able to do something, but maybe not really able to explain why or how they're able to do it. It just, this is where the idea comes about, oh, this is instinctive. Now, I personally have an issue with that <laughs> um, in that, yeah, it's great that you can do it, but why I have an issue with it, and this, is, this, is, you know, this isn't directed at anyone in particular, but I think why coaches and players should be more considerate of this is because, um, especially coaches, if just because a player is able to do something, an athlete is able to do something, doesn't mean they're always going to be able to do it. And if they don't understand why and how they're able to do it, and what maybe the key variables are and the minute details are, that allow this process to take place, if it ever does break down for any any reason, they won't know why or where. So coming back to your circuit board analogy, yes, they're flicking the switch, they're flicking the switch, they're doing the same things they're always doing. And because it's worked in the past, they believe that switch is going to turn things on again. But actually, this time they're hitting the switch, they keep hitting the switch, and it's just not clicking. Yes. So just to double down on that, because you're 100% spot on. I love it. So brilliant. Now, it's easier when you flip the switch and the light goes on every time. It's also easier when you flip the switch and the light doesn't go on at all. Where things get really complicated is when you flip the switch and it goes on maybe three out of 10 times. Well, I, th I think, I think, I th I think, and just to kind of, again, add on to that, I think the beauty of that is that why is it easier when the switch goes on and or the switch the switch goes on or off or whatever and, and it does come on or it doesn't come on? It's because we've got that element of certainty. We know what to expect. But I think where for me a lot of coaches need to spend more time and support their athletes in spending more time is that right, how often can we be in that environment where we've turned the switch on and it's not a case of knowing that it's going to come on. In fact, we don't know if it's going to come on. But more specific, we also don't know how long it's going to stay like this. And I think the more time we can spend in that realm, the more impactful the coaching and the interaction with our athletes could be. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, no. And so I think what's really interesting, right, is just to really get every last drop of, of the metaphor is some people see the flipping of the light switch and the light turning on as almost being magical. Like I, don't, like, I don't know how circuitry works. I'm not an electrician. 
I just know when I do this, this happens. And they go, that's awesome. And then when it, when they flip it, it doesn't happen. They go, oh, that, that's not awesome. And, and yet once we start looking at the circuitry and we start understanding like, oh, I see like the current goes to this spot first, then it goes to this spot. And here's a spot where we lose some of that current and we can just wrap some cord, you know, we can just wrap some insulation around that. And so where the magic, in my humble opinion, happens with, with what I'm able to and be fortunate enough to contribute with a team is sometimes it's psychological. You know, this guy that you're trying to inspire is not being inspired. Sometimes it's intellectual. Hey, this guy, you're asking him to get to the top shelf without a ladder and he's not very tall. Sometimes it's, you know, experience. Hey, you're having this guy play a new position that he's never played before. And you're hoping that he'll figure it out. And sometimes it's, you know, physical, you know, it's like, this guy's just not as fast to get this stuff done. And, 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 I, and I love that uh, because if I, again, reflect back on my own, my own coaching, where I've kind of moved to now, you know, I talked earlier about it. Early on in the journey, it used to be very much about, right, I want you to do things this way. This is the way that it's done. This is what I want you to do. And there wasn't much um, support around the rationale and justification as to why I want these things done in a particular way. But over time, and I guess where I moved to now is kind of maybe possibly on the complete opposite end of the spectrum in that there's less direction around what I want the process to look like, but but more guidance and clarity around the outcome. This is what we're trying to achieve now. Based on this is what we're trying to achieve. Here's the task. I'm highlighting the task, giving clarity and task, sharing, sharing the out, you know, the expectation of the task. But Scott Goldman is not the same as Steve Kerr. So Scott Goldman's going to have his own characteristics, and we're talking about that, you know, the, the, that search piece around um, the target, the targeted search. But that's where maybe I spend a lot of time in my work. In right not so much I want you to look out for X, Y, Z, but actually, Scott, what are you looking out for? What are you paying attention to? What do you consider to be important in this moment that's going to impact on your ability to perform this task? Now, helping you unpack those variables gives me the information that I need to see where this potentially could go next, but also gives me an opportunity to understand your perception of the situation and subsequently understand what the problem actually looks like to you rather than how I've just framed the task, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes perfect sense. And, and, and it goes back to time. I mean, time is the one thing that we can't get more of, right? Like there's only so much time in a day. There's only so much time in a season and, and it doesn't slow down and it doesn't get paused. And that's where I, I give a lot of credit to players and coaches who figure it out more quickly. Mm. But again, I'm a big believer. People figure it out eventually. It's just, did they do it in time? And did they do it in enough time? And, and, and I think what you're talking about with the work that you're doing, which, you know, I think is so important is, you know, we all know the whole, like, know your why, know your why, which is about really motivation. And I think that's important, right? Like sometimes what someone will do for $5 
is not something that they'll, or sorry, let me say, something they won't do for $5 could be something that they would do for $50. So if we figure out what motivates somebody and why, like whether it's family or whether it's legacy or winning, that kind of stuff, that helps speed up the learning curve in regard to the relationship dynamic between the coach and the player. Similarly, if we understand, hey, this guy would learn better um, being told what to do rather than being asked, what does he see? That can also be an important coaching adaptation. You see, uh, and I, and I, I get it. I get, I get the logic behind that. But I, 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 can't, I see that as, I don't think anyone actually learns better by being told what to do. I think uh, some, do you, do you, some people think, do. I think people could respond respond more effectively towards um, a task or a process in that moment. But in terms of learning a retention piece, I'm not sure if that. I'm not. I, I mean, so so here's where I'll challenge that. I think if you're a concrete thinker, I think if you're someone who who comes about tasks in a very simple way. Sometimes being told what to do, like if you ask questions, it's sort of like having a computer that doesn't have a high processing chip in it. Right. You ask the questions and you make things complicated. It just slows down the thing. What you end up getting is that little hourglass. You know, the mouse turns to the hourglass. So for some players, if they go, hey, just give me the answers to the test and I'll go out there and do it. Versus you and me going back and forth with this kind of sophisticated, almost like Socratic method <laughs> that can actually short circuit them. So some, some players, it's like, you know what, like, and let's go back to a, a way oversimplified thing, which is like, let's say you're talking to a fairly simple center midi. You go, look, when the left back delivers that pass to you and you rotate I want you to just place a ball to the last meter um, in the upper right quadrant of the, of the pitch. We're just going to do that as a set piece every time, like no creative flow, anything else like that. I just want you to execute what I've asked you to do. Mm. And, and, and as the coach, it'll be my responsibility of what I tell you is right. So that way you don't have to adjust or adapt or be creative on the pitch. That can be that can work. Fine. So let's so let, let, let's explore that. So you, you you you've given us that example there. We, we one the one thing we have agreed on is that obviously time is something that we, we can't get more of. Um, and yes, I also I also do you know I, I do get where you're coming from and I agree that you know sometimes given the instruction in some players for some 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 players it might short circuit them if we don't just give them the instruction because once they do it they'll understand it. I get that. What would you know? I guess you know if we're talking about time and being more impactful, being more effective, and not necessarily effective and impactful in instantaneous fashion, but actually in longevity. What would you say is your is your guidance and you know consider around consideration that coaches should be making when trying to identify what might be the most effective strategy to be to be utilizing with a particular athlete because there's going to be a lot of coaches out there who will take what you said as an example and say well well you know Scott said this Scott Scott's working with the Golden State Warriors and I, I can just go out and tell the athletes what they need to do 
and that's fine. Now, that might be fine for some because obviously the instruction might be enough information for them to crack on with it and then reflect, reflect, reflect. Oh, I get it now. I've done it, done it once, twice, three times, however many more times. I understand it now. So if Scott asked me about this, I can actually tell him what I've understood from this situation just because I've now had an opportunity to practice it. That might not be the case for all players. In fact, it won't be the case for all athletes. But a lot of coaches might look into that. And this is where, you know, I guess a lot of, I think we just as human beings, sometimes we read something and, and we want to apply it in a way that it fits well for us, if that makes sense. Yeah. What would you, what would you, what would you, you know, what would your advice be to those coaches out there that are thinking, right, okay. Well, again, I think we're all looking for simple solutions to very, very, very complicated uh, puzzles. And that often doesn't match. So kind of going back to your point, you're going like, well, if a coach says, I heard a podcast and I should just be direct with players and tell them what to do, and I'm going to do that universally, they're going to fail. So when we go back to the four buckets, or I should say they're going to fail with all the people that that, that particular type of strategy doesn't work with. So when we go back to the four buckets and we go, okay, if we understand the person's psychological makeup, if we understand their intellectual strengths and weaknesses, if we understand the experience and what they already know, and we understand their physical ability, and, and here's where things get very complicated, and we understand the interactions of those things. Because if you think about it, Someone who maybe is a little bit more of a concrete thinker, their intelligence might be lower, so they're a concrete thinker, they, they would benefit from having a personality that includes a much stronger work ethic. And the reason why I say that is if it takes the average player five reps to get something and somebody who's a more concrete thinker, it might take them 10 reps then they hopefully have a personality that makes them want to do 15 reps so they have it at such a masterful level. So these things can kind of compensate as well as collaborate with the four buckets. So, and another example of that is like, you know what? If you're a concrete thinker, but you're unbelievably fast, you could go the wrong direction, recalibrate, and go the right direction and still get the task on time, even though your first couple of steps was going in the wrong way. So bringing it back and kind of, I think where, where you and I are, are aligned is I think the most successful coaches are the ones that figure out their players in these four bucket domains, as well as the interaction within these four bucket domains and says, oh, this is how I get the light to turn on. And then they go and they watch it. And, and again, it feels like magic. I mean, some of the best coaches I've been around and I've been very, very fortunate to be around some unbelievably gifted coaches. They are just like, it's, to them, it's, it's almost like second nature. It, it, it's like <laughs> some of the best coaches I've been around when we start to break this stuff down, it's almost like asking a fish to describe water. You know, they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I just recognize that this is how the player needed to hear this information. And I'm like, gosh, that's so brilliant. But, you know, um, or like another one, and this is me kind of going off, 
off off into a rabbit hole, but is um, when I hear a coach start to talk about their gut, well, my gut tells me, I go, you know, the brain, we know this from the literature, the brain is always future oriented. Like the brain is really predicting, but, or, and it's predicting based off of past experiences, right? So I think these coaches that talk about their gut feel or their instinct, what they're really talking about is pattern recognition from some previous experience that's giving them the ability to anticipate. So they're going like, you know, this player, and I'm just going to make up this player, you know, um, Dave reminds me a lot of this player I worked with four years ago named Tommy. And Tommy and I really struggled to coordinate our dance of coaching and teaching and learning. But when we finally figured it out, it was too late. So we lost Tommy. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the things that worked with Tommy with Dave. I'm going to take this pattern recognition and this, and this previous history, and I'm going to apply it to Dave. And that's where I think the magic comes from. And what's funny is the coach goes, yeah, I just went with my gut, you know, and I'll, I'll do this. And I'll go, Hey coach, you know, why, why did you, why did you do that? And I'm like, eh, yeah, I just went with my gut. And I go, so and then I double down and go, your gut, huh? Which experience in your life gave you the, the, the answers to that test? And that's when they'll go, oh, well, there was this player, Tommy, a few years back. That reminds me a lot of Dave. And then we go through that experience. And then they go, and then you'll sometimes see the light bulb turn on with the coach. Where they go, whoa. So that's, that's where my gut comes from. I go, yeah, no, that's cool. And then that dialogue continues to help us go, well, how else can I learn about not just Dave, but maybe, um, you know, Steve. And you're going, what do you do when you have a Steve that doesn't remind you of a Tommy or anyone else that you previously worked with? And you're going like, how do I learn who Steve is? And again, I've only got so much time on the shot clock to figure Steve out as fast as possible. No, I think that's a great way to kind of put it because, you know, I think that is one of the challenges that coaches do have sometimes. They want to, they want to be able to demonstrate an, almost an immediate like impact, which is not always possible because of some of the intricacies and, uh, you know, that, that exists within individuals. So I guess, you know, as we do as a kind of wrap up, what would you see are some of the key considerations or, you know, maybe golden pieces of advice or nuggets, if you like, that you, you ask really coaches to consider in their practice going forward? Whew, that's a really good question. And, and I think it's, it's interesting because I would imagine that other people you've interviewed probably have like a cool, like catchphrase or like a hashtag, you know, learn your learners or something like that. And, and I tend to try to avoid the cliche, uh, mostly because I just think this stuff is complicated. Mm. So I guess if I was to kind of sign off with some kind of universal statement, it I mean, would be, yeah, go ahead. I, I, I wouldn't, I mean, I get, I get where you're coming from, but I wouldn't necessarily put it down to as a, I think really what, really what I want to know is, right. If you had, if you, if you were setting out on this journey again for yourself and you, and you know, you knowing what you know now had to go right back to the start of the journey. What's one or two things that you'd implement straight away that you know, okay, you know, this is going to accelerate my, this is going to accelerate my impact. Oh, that's a cool question. That's a really cool question. 
Um, and, and not and not just because it's theory, no, because this is something you know from your own experience has worked for you. Yeah. I would say what we're doing is harder than we think. This stuff is way more complicated than we realize. And therefore, um, what we do should be sophisticated in nature. And again, where others might give you a great line, like, you know, how you do everything is how you do anything or some other kind of cliched statement um, where that might really resonate with you it very rarely has the kind of substance that promotes the real kind of change that you're hoping to accomplish. So I think I would try to summarize that into what we're doing is complicated and we should continually strive to learn and understand. So that way we can make it less complicated. And, and, I, and I think that's a great way to put it, but I think it, it really would maybe add more substance to that just by reiterating the phrase that you used earlier and in recognizing more importantly and understanding and accepting that this is a constantly mutating puzzle. Yeah. We're never going to crack it. Yeah. Just, and just when we think we've cracked it, there's a whole lot more to, ex you know, to kind of step out on. And, you know, it's like that age old thing where they say, you know, the moment you think you've, you know, you, you, you've cracked life or, you know, you've, you've finished anything is the moment where you start to actually fall behind because you, you know, you, you feel like you know everything there is to know. So I think that's, that's, if there was one word to kind of really encapsulate everything that you've kind of said in this is, it's being, you know, it's, it's stay curious. Yeah. Stay curious. Like, you know, try and figure, try and, try and, get to the bottom of why is this happening? How is this happening? How do we, you know, and if it is happening, what's happening exactly? What's, what, you know, what, what would need to not be in place here for this to stop happening? You know, what would need to be in place here for this to take it to the next level and just stay curious around those things. And again, it comes kind of links, you know, full circle into that whole target, you know, that search for, you know, that minute detail that you talk about is what's allowing this to work. What's, what would stop this from working? So if that circuit is being flipped on and off, the switch is coming on and on, on and off, sorry, but there's no light or there is a light, do you understand what's making the light come on when it does? And, and do you understand what's not, you know, what's making the light not come on when it's not? Um, yeah, a bit of a ramble there, but yeah, I think you get, you get what I mean. <laughs> well, it, it's, it's not even, in my opinion, it's not around, like that's friggin' brilliant, you know, because it's funny, I, I, I have two concepts that I try to live my own life by. And one of them is to be a curious explorer. And so the fact that you've taken our conversation and actually hit the vein of what drives me to be a curious explorer, I think is really, really special. That, that kudos to you. So Scott, Scott, just, uh, you know, just on that, you know, We've covered a lot here, and I'm sure you know, I'm sure we could probably sit here for hours and maybe kind of unpack this further around different examples and experiences that, you, that you've come across. If there was any listeners, you know, I'm sure there will be that wanted to get in touch with you or maybe find out a little bit more about your work. Where could they do that? Um, for the athletic intelligence quotient, um, you can go to that website, which is athleticintel.com. Um, 
as far as me as a psychologist, you know, I've never been one, much of a self-promoter or a marketer. A lot of the jobs that, that I've been fortunate enough, they, they have found me just through the work. So I tend not to self-promote. Um, I, I don't find fault with those that do. It's just never been something that I've um, developed or focused on. So, you know, if you want to learn about the AIQ, athleticintel.com is a great way to do it. Um, if you want to learn about me or if you want to reach me, um, you know, I have a Twitter account, which is, you know, at Scott Goldman PhD, but I, I'll be honest with you, I don't really post a lot or tweet a lot, um, but do some people do direct message me that way. Um, you can also email me, which is um, my last name, Goldman, G-O-L-D-M-A-N at athleticintel.com. And, uh, and, and I, I check that email pretty regularly. That's a, a good way to connect. Awesome. Well, Scott, I just want to thank you again for your time this morning. It's been really insightful. And, you know, I'm, I'm really, really keen to maybe think about, well, you've, you've got a few things going on in my head around, okay, how, how does this impact on the way I work currently? Is there any, any of these things which I'm currently already doing that, you know, that I've maybe not been so conscious of, if you like? Um, and now that we've had this conversation, maybe consciously thinking about, right, how much of this stuff is currently taking place, how much of it's not currently taking place, and where am I prioritising? You know, what are the buckets that maybe I, I currently use um, without knowing? Um, so there's a, there's, a, there's a few questions brewing in my head right now, but, you know, and I, I want to thank you for, I guess, leaving me in a bit of a conundrum in that respect. Because, um, again, like I said, it's about staying curious, staying passionate about that development piece and understanding what, how, how to further unpack this constantly mutating puzzle, as you put it. Um, Scott, thank you again for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. I mean, it's been a pleasure for me, and I, and I hope you really enjoyed the conversation as well. Oh, yeah. I think a sign of a good conversation is where you just want five more minutes. So uh, this has been a lot of fun. And who knows, maybe there'll be a part two to this and we can do a deep dive on one of the other buckets, given we did such a deep dive on intelligence today. But yeah, I uh, thank you. And, and, you know, just if I, well, I have a moment just to give you the compliment. Uh, it's amazing how you identified things in our conversation and summarized aspects of our conversation. I mean, it's really, really, really cool. So uh, I appreciate your intellect and your insight and your ability to see things that other people don't see. And all I can do is thank you for that, Scott. I mean, like I said, I think that comes back to the whole piece around being curious. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, just just helping, on, helping, helping others do the same thing. So again, thank you for that, Scott. I really appreciate it, man. My pleasure. It's good talking with you. Thanks for the opportunity. There you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.